Thanks for joining us on the Hope Podcast. Hope Community Church exists to love people where they are and help them grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. By pursuing this relationship together, we can change the world. We have multiple locations, including an online service found at gethope.tv. If you're not from the greater Raleigh-Durham area in North Carolina or near our Agape campus in Haiti, we'd love to still have you be a part of what Hope is up to through our online services. If you do live in our physical area, go to our website at gethope.net to check out where our campuses are located and our service times. Please like and share this with your friends or family. We are so glad you stopped by. played Detroit in the playoff game. This is the play of the game. We called Y option. So Witten, who knows this play better than anybody on the planet, gets up to the top of the route. He feels the defender sink underneath him and play to the outside. He puts his right foot in the ground, gives a little head nod, circles back inside. Romo moves, delivers a strike between the eight and the two. Witt turns up the field, 21-yard gain. Six plays later, Romo to Terrence Williams for a touchdown. The game win. So Witt takes the next couple minutes talking about what he saw and what he felt. It was great. But then he stops. And he says, I'll tell you why this play really worked. And he said, I want you to look at Des Bryant here. He's our ex-receiver. They play two-man for one reason. Des Bryant. You need a guy underneath. You need a guy on top. Then he talked about the offensive line, Tyron Smith and his set. He talked about Ron Learer, left guard, Travis Frederick, Zach Martin working inside, working together. Talked about Jeremy Parnell, our right tackle, his set, and how he was battling. He talked about Cole Beasley and Terrence Williams taking outside releases, turning the defender's eyes away from him and running the safety off so he'd be isolated. He talked about DeMarco Murray, his protection assignment, running the swing, and he talked about Romo his awareness to kind of hang in there with him. It all came alive on fourth and six. Romo slid, threw it between the eight and the two, and he went. So it struck me that this play, his signature play, where he made it at the critical moment, he didn't make it about him. He did what he always does. He makes it about everybody else. made it about the team. Well, I feel the need to tell you right out of the gate, I hate the Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> and I just want to be clear with that. I got to get that off my chest. But, but how can you watch a video like that and not think, man, I would love to be on a team with Jason Witten. I mean, even if you know nothing about football, if you hate football, I'm sure some of you do, you watch that and you think that guy knows what it means to be an excellent teammate. And it might stand out because all of us, I'm sure, have been on that team where there was one or two people where it was obvious they cared probably a little bit more about themselves than they did for the mission overall for the entire team. Or maybe you had that boss or that supervisor who carried themselves a little bit more entitled than what felt comfortable. But some of us, some of us, we've been on teams with men or women that carried themselves like what you just saw in that video. And I'm telling you, I have the privilege of working on one of those right now. And you know that is where the magic happens. We, this weekend, are taking a look at our core value that says we are in it together. 
And there may not have ever been a time in the course of human history where we needed this more than we do right now. And so whether you're talking about a society as a whole that has every media outlet that you can know or that you can think of throwing something new at us every other day about new things that we should be against or how divided we are. Or if we're just a church that's going through a little bit of transition right now with a little bit of uncertainty, but we need to remember that we're in this thing together. And so what I want you to do for the rest of our time together, I want you to have this thought right in the front of your head that says this, for a team or for a family to operate at its best, we have to have a mentality that says we're in it together. And I tell you that for two reasons. Uh, One, because we as individuals will not experience the life that God has for us. But on top of that, we will not achieve or accomplish as a church all that God has for us to accomplish if we don't have this mentality. And I'm going to let you in on a little secret. We as Christians, when we get this wrong, we can be some of the most spiteful, angry, argumentative, petty people on the planet. Not hope people. Okay, not us. So everybody take a deep breath. We're not talking about us. But we have to guard against this thing. We have to be careful because all of us have this thing inside of us that will push us towards our personal preferences over the mission. So we have this core value that says we're in it together. And I think what we're going to find out this weekend is there is too much at stake to run the risk of not getting this right. What's interesting is Jesus thought the same thing. And he knew that we were going to struggle with it. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to John chapter 17. Verse 20 through 23 is we're going to kick things off. If you don't have your Bibles, if it's going to take you a while to get there, uh, no big deal. We're going to have it on the side screens. But here's what's going on. In this passage, Jesus is praying to his Father. He's praying to God, and he's just finished praying for his disciples, the 12 men that had followed him around for a few years. This is what he says in verse 20. I am not asking on behalf of these alone, so not just because of my disciples, but also for those who believe in me through their words. So if you don't know, that's talking about us. So not just for my disciples, but those who believe in in response to what it is that they do, in response to their words. So that's us. He's praying for us. That they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us. Listen, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, so that they may be one just as we are one, I am in them and you are in me that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me and you loved them just as you loved me. So just Jesus is praying to his father and to make this as simple as we possibly can. Jesus is saying, Father, I pray that they would be unified just as you and I are unified and not just unified, but they would be perfected in unity. Why? Why, Jesus? Why is it important for them to be perfected in unity? He says in verse 23, so that... The world may know that you sent me and that you love them. So let's understand, not only is Jason saying that it's imperative that we are unified as we chase after our mission and vision as a church. Jesus, the Son of God, is saying that there is something, there's something to this idea. There's this correlation between how unified the church is and how the world will know and believe that God sent Jesus and that God loves the world. Let's say that again. Jesus said that there is a correlation between how unified the church is and how the world will know and believe that God sent Jesus and that God loves the world. I want to state this tension 
very clearly. Uh, not only will we not experience team the way that we were created to experience team, but we will not be the church that Jesus died to set in motion if we don't get this right. And so Jesus prayed the prayer. We have an opportunity to be the answer to Jesus's prayer. So how do we do it? Here's what we're gonna do in the rest of our time together. We are going to take a look at a book in the Bible called Nehemiah. We're gonna take a look at the life of this guy, Nehemiah. And what I wanna do is I wanna give us a 30,000 foot overview of what happens in the book. And from that, I want us to look at four key essentials that will allow us to be an answer to Jesus's prayer. Said differently, four key essentials that will lead us to being in it together. Okay, you with me? Yes, okay, good, all right. Just making sure we're still there. Okay, Nehemiah. Here's what you need to know. Before the book picks up in Nehemiah, you have God's chosen people, the Israelites, and they're in the land of Judah. They made some decisions to be rebellious against God. God says, okay, well, I'll hand you over to yourselves. We'll see what happens. They end up being exiled, captured, taken out of Judah, and they end up in a land called Babylon. Okay, in the process of that, their city ends up getting destroyed. At some point, the Persian Empire comes through. Uh, they release the Israelites from Babylon, they're permitted to go back to their homeland of Judah. And right around there, just after that, is where this story picks up. So then our main character, Nehemiah, who is an Israelite, but he's not with the Israelites now in Judah because he is the cupbearer to the king of Persia. Big job. What that means is the cupbearer is he is to eat and drink everything that the king eats or drinks before the king does it to make sure that it's not poisoned so the king doesn't die. Not the best job, all right? Important for the king, not, not great for Nehemiah. But that's why he's there. So what happens just as Nehemiah opens up, Nehemiah's brother and some other Israelites from Judah, they come down and they visit him in this place called Susa. And they're just giving an update. They're just talking. They didn't have texts or emails back then. And so Nehemiah says, hey, I'm so glad our people are back in Judah. Can you give me a report? Let me know how everything is going. That's where we pick up Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 3. They answer him. They said, and they said to me, the remnant there in the province who survived the captivity are in great distress and disgrace. And the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and his gates have been burned with fire. Not great news. All right, so what Nehemiah finds out right away is, okay, our people have survived the exile. They've survived the captivity. They're back in Judah but now they're facing devastation all over again. They're heartbroken, they're recognizing their city's destroyed, the walls have been burned, there's no protection from the enemies. This is not good news. I want you to see Nehemiah's response. And remember, we're looking here for the first key essential, what does it mean to be in it together? Chapter one, verse four. Now, when I heard these words, I sat down and I wept and I mourned for days and I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. This guy was brokenhearted for his people. He sat down before God and he mourned and he prayed. When's the last time that we were moved to a place like that? The first key essential, if you're gonna be in it together with a group of people is you have to care about the it. You have to care about it. Care about what? I don't know, whatever the it is. I mean, for Jason Whitten, it was football, okay? If, in your marriage, if you're married, I hope that you sit down and spend time talking with your spouse about what's important for you in your jobs. We know what our goals are. We know what it is that we're working towards at Hope. It's our mission and vision. We know that there are people, men, women, children, all around the triangle, all over the world that are lost, broken, hurting. And we believe that God has called us into, into the world to love people where they are and encourage them to grow 
and their relationship with Jesus Christ. I've got three kids. I have a picture of said kids that I'd love to show with you. I think we'll put it up here on the screen. Look at that. Aren't they cute? So the two oldest, they're on the left. That's Aiden and Addison. They're 12, and then Connor is nine, the young guy on the right. Okay, when my wife Diana was pregnant with Aiden and Addison, she went into preterm labor at 26 weeks. Okay, very, very early. And she was a trooper. She was able to keep a man for about 10 more days, so she delivered at 28 weeks. When they were born, they were right at two and a half pounds. Now, uh, for the first couple of weeks, things were really scary. They actually got down to just above two pounds. We had doctors tell us regularly, you really need to make sure that you don't have high expectations uh, overnight. I want to show you a quick picture of what they, so that was them in the NICU. And uh, so they were there for about three months. And that picture doesn't really do it justice. So why don't you go to the next picture? Look at that. That's my daughter's hand. Now, I, I'm a pretty, not a small guy, but I mean, that's a hand like this. Okay, that, that's real. Um, but we were there for about three months, day and night in the NICU. We had a blog that we updated regularly. We had people praying for us all around the country. Do you think in that moment in our lives, anybody wondered what it was that we cared about? Absolutely not. They knew. Now, I'll show you another picture. They're absolutely perfect today. The only thing wrong with them is they get a little sassy with mom and they do stuff like that sometimes. So, so they're great. Isn't it interesting in life? We don't have a difficult time finding time for the things that matter to us. You got to care about it. But this is where we have to be careful. The world around us has a way of distracting us. Right? Some of us, here's what our days look like. We get up in the morning. Uh, we get a shower. We get dressed. Pre-COVID, I know most of you don't put on pants to go to work, right? Because it's just like from the waist up. In fact, if people are watching us on gethope.tv right now, if you've got pajama bottoms on, you're doing great. So good job. But pre-COVID, you got up, you got a shower, you put on clothes. Then you went to work or you go to school, you check the boxes, you come home, you eat dinner. If you have kids, you manage the kids, you put them to bed, you veg out for a little bit, you go to bed, rinse and repeat the next day. That's not compelling. That doesn't build a family that thrives. It doesn't build a marriage that thrives. It doesn't impact the students or your teachers that you actually go to school with. Best case scenario, that can build a successful career and then we die. And right now, some of you are thinking, this Jason guy is super encouraging. <laughs> I'm so glad that he's up here. My point is this, the best teammates, the ones that actually change the world, they care about it. And in order to care about it, you have to know what your it is. And if you don't know what your it is, we live in a world that will tell you what your it is and you will live your entire life and realize that you've given it to something that has no eternal impact. And I want you to hear me say something as, as your pastor, as a coach, as a brother, as a friend, however you wanna receive it, I do not want you to get to the end of your life and wonder what you did with all the days that your God gave you. You have to know what your it is. You have to care about it. You have to know what breaks your heart. Nehemiah knew. It was these people. He cared about it. And he cared about it so much that he went to this king that he knew he could lose his life for doing this. And he said, I want to leave here. May I have your permission to leave here and go with my people and help my people and lead these people into the rebuilding of their city and of the wall. News, just spoiler alert, they get the wall built. But not only that, we have recorded here one of the greatest eras of leadership that we have recorded in biblical history. But it started 
because he cared. We have to care. So this group of people, they cared about something. That's all it really takes to get something done, right? A couple of young idealists, we're gonna go out and change the world. That's all it takes? No, because there's always this thing called opposition. Isn't there always opposition? You wanna do something good and then you turn around and then there's someone or something that's getting in the way. My dad and I, we have this running joke that says anytime we wanna fix something around the house, when you need a tool that you haven't used in a while, what's gonna happen? It's gonna be broken. You can, even if you find it, the tool's broken. And I don't know why it wasn't broken the last time I used it. Probably the kids that you saw on the screen a moment ago used it last, but it gets broken. We as followers of Jesus, we have an opposition. And some of it you can see, and we don't have time to get into this. Most of it you actually can't see with your own eyes. But anytime you are about to do something great, rest assured you will face opposition. People will disagree with you. They might even post their disagreements on social media. You might even be canceled. It might happen, but you will face opposition. You see it in Scripture. You see it in the story as early as chapter 2 in Nehemiah. Chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Then I, this is Nehemiah talking, came to the governors of the provinces beyond the Euphrates River and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent with me officers of the army and horsemen when, here's come the bad guys, when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about it, it was very displeasing to them that someone had come to seek the welfare of the sons of Israel." These guys just heard about somebody trying to do something good and they were displeased. And we don't, there's more to this. We don't have time to unpack. But these two guys, Sanballat and Tobiah, they created tension and opposition for Nehemiah and God's people all throughout the rest of this story. All throughout it. You move forward, chapter 2 to chapter 4. Two chapters. Chapter 4, verse 1. Now it came about that when Sanballat heard that they were rebuilding the wall, so now they're actually rebuilding it, he became furious and very angry, and he mocked the Jews. You go forward two more chapters in chapter 6. It doesn't stop. These guys lie on Nehemiah. They try to discourage him. They try to manipulate them. They actually lead people to believe that there's going to be a foreign nation to actually show up and attack these guys. They are ruthless. You ever try to do something good, and you literally have someone in your life that's lying, trying to manipulate the situation to make it more difficult? This is a real thing. Listen. If you are going to do anything great in life, especially if it has to do with following God, and, and if you don't know, just, just look out into the culture. If you haven't picked up on, if you want to do something big for God that the culture might end up being against you right now, you're missing something. Listen, Hope Community Church, Raleigh Campus, Apex Campus, Morrisville Campus, Garner Folks, Fuquay, GetHope.tv. At Hope, we are doing a good work. We will face opposition. Expect it. We should expect it. It might be just from our circumstances. It might even be from people that you thought was supposed to be in your corner. But you will face opposition. We have to stay in it. We have to care about it. And we have to be courageous for it. Nehemiah knew that. Listen to what he says to his people here in chapter 4. He knew that they were afraid. There were times that these guys are like working on the wall with one hand and they've got another hand on their sword because they're anticipating an attack. He says this to them in chapter 4. When I saw their fear, I stood and I said to the nobles, the officials and the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight 
for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. Nehemiah says, remember the Lord, remember what he's done, and remember your it and fight for it. Be courageous for it. And friends, I know 2020 and 2021 have been a difficult year. Many of us are facing opposition today, this morning, right now in our lives. And and what I want to do is I want to proclaim and preach over you what Nehemiah did for his people when he said, remember the Lord and how great and awesome he is and what he's done and continue to fight for your families, for your brothers, for your sisters, for your sons, for your daughters, for your communities for the kids in Fostering Hope, uh, for our friends up right now in Hope in Espanol, for our friends down at Agape Campus in Haiti, for our brothers and sisters in India, remember our it, be courageous for it, and fight for it. There's too much at stake. We gotta care about it. We have to be courageous for it. And that takes us to the third essential I would like to talk to us about, and it's that we have to be selfless to it. The easiest way I can sum this up is if you want to achieve, and I tell this to people that I coach, whether they're six years old or or whether they're 16 or whether they're 26 or 36, if you want to achieve anything great in life, anything great in life, it's going to cost you something. Sometimes it's time. Sometimes it's energy. Sometimes it's our finances. It literally costs us money. Check this out in chapter 3. Chapter 3, just so you know, it's Nehemiah kind of going through a list of people. This is this person. This is what they did. Kind of like what Jason Witten did on that video earlier. Chapter 3. And I'm just going to tell you now. I'm going to mess up these names. So let's just laugh about it. It's fine. Then Elijah, the high priest, he arose with his brothers, the priests, and he built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and installed his doors. So priests were installing doors. I'll tell you right now. Uh, I have pastors on staff here. I don't let them use power tools, okay? That's like workers' comp waiting to happen. We don't do it. But they were in a jam. It had to get done. Next to him, Uzziel, the son of Hariah of the goldsmiths, made repairs. Next to him, Hananiah, one of the perfumers, made repairs. And they restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. One of the goldsmiths. Do you know how much gold was on this wall? Most likely. Zero. You know how much perfume was on this wall? However much Hananiah spilled when he was using a nail gun, but perfume traditionally doesn't keep enemies out, right? So that, the point is, people were doing work that didn't necessarily fit their special area of interest or gifting. They were just doing what needed to be done. This is probably my first verse here in this section, chapter 3, verse 13. Hanan and the inhabitants of Zenoa repaired the valley gate. They built it and installed its doors with its bolts and its bars and a thousand cubits of the wall to the dung gate. Someone had to repair the dung gate. Does anyone know what a dung gate is? It's what you think it is. Uh, There's a, a temple, right, in the middle of the city, and there's animals in the temple. Well, animals have um, excrement. And so someone has to get up that and take it out of the temple and out of the city. Well, the dung gate is the special gate that we use just to get that out. No one signs up to work the dung gate, all right? It's like a sixth grade middle school boys small group leader at Hope Community Church. Nobody wants to do it. Now, I can say that because I coach middle schoolers, but it requires a bit of selflessness. What roles in your family or in your home, or at hope, do you look at 
and think you might just be a little bit too good to do. Julie Biggs, uh, she works uh, with me on our lead team, a dear friend, and we were just walking through the message together this week. And she said, you should just ask people, what's your dung gate? I said, Julie, I will do that. But if I slip up and ask people where their dung gate is, I'm gonna be incredibly uncomfortable and I'm coming back to have a serious conversation. But I'm not gonna do that. I didn't do that. But you, you ask yourself that question, what is your dung gate? It'll be the only thing that you remember out of our entire time together. That's great. Uh, Last fall, when everything was crazy, right? Everything's getting shut down. Schools get shut down. We shut down all of our physical campuses. And we knew that there were going to be single parents in our communities that were gonna have to make it a decision between will I stay at home and create a virtual learning environment for my child or will I go to work and earn money so that I can put food on the table? What a terrible decision for a parent to have to make. And so we said as a church, no way, not on our watch. Here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna open up all of our physical campuses. We're gonna create virtual learning centers and we're gonna call the church into and invite the church into serving and making this thing happen. Many of you told us you had never had any intention of signing up to volunteer with children, but you did because you knew it needed to be done. And that was single-handedly one of the greatest things that we've ever done in the life of our church because people were selfless. This isn't a new thing for us at Hope. Go back, I don't know, 20, 25 years, say circa 1998. Hope Community Church, we had one building on the corner of 54 and Maynard Road. And I'm generous as to say that that building might fill up this auditorium. It's probably closer to filling up this stage up here. And in our auditorium, it would seat about 100 people. We had 100 chairs. But God grew that thing. And we had multiple services. And then one day we realized if we were to kick out and blow out that cinder block wall in the back of the room, we could expand this auditorium and maybe get another 100 chairs in here. And so we did what any smart church would do. We had a church work day. And we said, hey, guys, come on in, bring your sledgehammers. And uh, we went about things a little differently than Nehemiah. Nehemiah's like, we gotta build the wall. We're like, tear the wall down. We do things differently at Hope. But we did, we took the wall down. And then we found out, you know, the fire marshal showed up sometime later. And, Maybe it was a firewall. And uh, as it turns out, we were inviting people into worship, into a fire trap. So I'm not saying that you need to break the law. But what I am saying is, is when a job needs to get done, sometimes you just roll up your sleeves, whether it's glamorous or not, and you do what it takes to be selfless to the it. You see people pitching in to meet needs physically. Um, in the text, you also see people jumping in and giving financially. Nehemiah chapter seven, verse 70. Some of the heads of the father's households gave to the work. The governor gave to the treasury a thousand gold drachmas, 50 basins and 530 priest garments. And some of the heads of the father's households gave to the treasury for the work, 20,000 gold drachmas and 2,200 silver mina. What the rest of the people gave was 20,000 gold drachmas, 2,000 silver mina and 67 priest garments. It's been a while since we've gotten any priest garments around here, so... You guys got to step up your game there. But I, I do need to talk about this for a moment. And so if you call Hope home, I want you to lean in and listen. Uh, if you are new or visiting with us, if you don't know too much about the whole God thing, I give you, I'd love for you just to listen in, but I give you full permission just to kind of let this roll right over. But we need to address this. Hope Community Church can do what Hope Community Church does, um, not just because people give generously of their time and their talent, but people give generously financially for the sake of our mission and vision. And if that's you, 
on behalf of the triangle, on behalf of the world, I want to say thank you to you. 2020 was a crazy year. And I know in uncertain times, most of us, we get a little bit more cautious, especially with our finances. And to an extent, uh, that's okay. We finished 2020 in a solid place financially. But we knew the moment that our founding pastor of 27 years made a decision to retire abruptly, when you put that on top of COVID, when you put that on top of social and political and economic uncertainty, we knew that we might see some pullback in the generosity and in the financial contributions to the church. And I'll just tell you, we've seen it. We've seen it. And to a degree, I get it. There's a lot of questions right now. Right? Who's really leading this place? Can we trust this Jason guy? Is hope going to change? Who's going to be our preacher? And I, I want to say this to you. Hope Community Church is going to change in that you are not going to hear your founding pastor preach 45 weekends a year. But as it relates to our DNA, as it relates to how we're going to impact the community around us, as it relates to how we're going to continually elevate the truth of God's word and apply it to our lives, we're not backing down. In fact, if anything, we're doubling down because you know what is changing? The world around us, uncertainty. There are parents that need help with their children. There are marriages that are falling apart. There is anxiety. There's emotional and spiritual and mental unhealth all around us. Incarcerations are going up. Addictions are going up. Hope Community Church has never been needed in our community the way that it is right now. And so we're doubling down. But I mentioned we can tell that there's been a pullback, and there has. Here's what that means. The total number of givers at Hope Community Church has backed off a bit. And what's interesting about that is our overall engagement, our overall reach, when you include our, our weekend services from our physical campus and online, it's actually higher right now than it was last year at this time when we were just online. But what, what we know is we have new families that are starting to call Hope home, but it takes some time for a new family to maybe to build trust. Can I really give to this church? Do I trust the church? Maybe to even know that tithes and offerings and generosity is actually a thing when you're following Jesus. So it's just going to take some time. No big deal. So we're doing what we need to do. All right, we are, we are watching our expenditures and making sure that it doesn't outpace the generosity of where our church is right now. But to be perfectly transparent with you, there's not a lot of places to cut without impacting ministry and without impacting the work that we're doing in the community. And truthfully, we, and when I say we, I, I mean we're in this thing together. We do not want to spend a whole lot of time trying to figure out what corners do we want to cut and what ministries do we want to pull back. We, we actually want to be having conversations like we want to launch into Fuquay. We, we want to talk about what it means to get a Hope Center in the Southeast Raleigh-Garner area. We want to talk about what does it mean to, to expand Fostering Hope and our Hope in Espanol ministry. But to do that, it is going to require each and every one of us to be selfless to it and to be in it together in a way maybe that we never have before. I do want you to know this. We, we are aware that some of you are actually giving at a level higher than you ever have before. You're making this stuff happen. And so we want to say thank you. I think you heard it in the video earlier, but over a four-week period, you all gave over $100,000 to Fostering Hope, a brand-new initiative that we believe that God was calling us into. And you all responded. When things like that happen, we also know that it impacts our general ministry giving. And so we saw that as well. That's okay. We have faith. We said at the beginning of this, if we're going to accomplish big things, it's going to cost us something. 
We want to reach the triangle and change the world. That's going to cost us something. For us to be in it together, we've got to be selfless to it in our time, in our talent, and in our treasure. If you've pulled back from contributing to hope financially, it's time to get back in the game. I know you won't regret it. Now, I want to say one thing before I move on to this. If you are here, I realize that there are people in this church, in this room right now that are facing financial insecurity. Maybe you lost a job. Maybe you went through um, some serious health, health conditions in your family. If that is you, please know, I just want you to just let everything I just said go. And we want you to let us know that you're in need. We have resources set aside for you. We are here as your church. Okay, you have to care about it. You have to be courageous for it. You have to be selfless to it. The last essential is we have to seek God through it. What does that mean, Jason? That sounds obvious. What else would we seek through this? I wanna be real careful with this. If we're not careful, we said this at the very beginning, we will seek our personal preferences and self-interest. And here's why I highlight this, because we're doing good stuff around here. All of us, I believe, have good intentions, but sometimes if you're not careful, we will start running down a road and we will forget that there are guardrails. We'll start chasing after something and we might start to think maybe the rules don't apply to us the same way that they always have. You see Nehemiah in this story. He is consistently, he's going to God in prayer. He's doing a good work. He's going to God in prayer. He's doing a good work. He's going to God in prayer. He's doing a good work. He's constantly reminding his people, remember the Lord and remember what he did. He, he goes and he grabs Ezra, the priest. He says, Ezra, get over here and preach God's word. Remind the people who God is and what he's done. He tells the people regularly, he says, don't forget, it was our rebellion originally that got us exiled from Judah and landed us in Babylon. My point is this, Nehemiah understood that focusing on God's way was more important than building a wall. At Hope Community Church, we want to reach people far from Jesus. We wanna impact our community in positive ways. We wanna launch new campuses so that we can reach more people. But understand, it is not enough to grow God's church or to provide for your family or to achieve a goal if you do it by opposing God's will. It will cost you and it will catch up with you. Maybe publicly, but certainly privately. And leaders, we have to pay special attention to this. We grow things, we find success, good things happen around us. And if we're not careful, we start to believe the press that's going on around us when really we're no different than anybody else. Make sure you have people in your life that will speak truth to you in this area. And I don't just mean people that say they'll speak truth. I mean people that will speak truth because if they're not actively speaking truth, they're not willing to later because none of us are that good. There's something in our life we need to know about. So chase after big things, but only do so while you're seeking God through it. One last piece on this one. Uh, I had the, the privilege to talk to a small group this past week. One of our area pastors told us that someone had a few questions and he answered them. But uh, I said, well, listen, do you think it would help if I just had a conversation with a small group? I can't do that for every group, but if they've got some questions, he said, sure. So I reached out to her, to the small group leader. She said she thought that would be very helpful. And so I kind of zoomed in to the meeting this past week. They had three questions. Uh, one was, hey, can you just assure us that Mike Lee, our founding pastor, didn't get forced out? That was the first. Second question, 
Can you ensure us that our theology as a church is not changing? And then the last one is, who's going to be our preacher? I said, okay, well, that's easy. I can answer two of those very easily. The third one might take some time. The first one, did Mike get pushed out? Absolutely not. That's easy. Mike was actually asked to stay a bit longer, but what you heard is what it is. He felt like it was best for he and his family to move on pretty quickly. Secondly, is our theology changing? No, no way, no how. We are Hope Community Church, not changing. I had a little bit longer conversation around the third that we don't have time for uh, this week. We'll be releasing some of that information this week as a church. But then they asked me, do you have anything else that you would like to say to us? And I said, yeah, yeah, I think I do. I can tell there's a bit of uncertainty. So the first thing is I want you to know, Hope Community Church is not changing. Hope is hope. The second thing I want you to hear is when I read scripture all the way back from the beginning of time, you see that God uses uncertain times and trials and difficulties to develop God's people, to mature them in their faith, to get them ready for what it is that he has for them on the other side. And hope, don't you think that if God has something big for us over here, that it's possible we might have to go through some fire together right now? And so what does it look like for us to lock arms and to seek God through this season to make sure that we're better ready to reach the triangle and change the world? I think it's ironic that a lot of us as Christians, we talk about our personal relationship with Jesus. Meanwhile, Jesus is over here praying (laughs) that we would be unified so the world would know that God sent Jesus and that God loves the world. If you want to be on a great team, if you want to be a part of a church that changes the world, we have to have a mentality that says we're in it together. You can be on the world's greatest team with the world's greatest mission. But we got to put in the work. I want you to ask yourself four questions this week. Here's how I want us to apply this. You can do it by yourself. You can do it with your family. You can do it with your small group. Four questions. The first, what do I really care about? as a family, as a church. What do I care about? Do my priorities match up to that? The second, where do we need to be more courageous for it? Maybe I need to spend some time in intentionally growing spiritually. Maybe I need to be careful not to give way as much to gossip. Maybe you need to challenge someone to grow in their relationship with Jesus. Or maybe, and this one's tough, But sometimes one of the most courageous things that we can do is let someone challenge us. Where do we need to be courageous? The third, where do I need to be more selfless to it? Maybe it has nothing to do with Hope Community Church. Maybe it's something in your home, in your community. Maybe it is at Hope. I know over the next few weeks, we're going to be having a Serve Connect here where we're going to be making it very easy for you to jump into different ministry opportunities. Make a decision right now or this week. The next opportunity that comes up, Dungate or no Dungate, I'm going to go jump in and I'm going to make that thing happen. Maybe it's to be more selfless with your financial generosity to your church. And lastly, am I seeking God in it? Am I willing to trust God in uncertainty, even when it's uncomfortable. And then I want you to do something about it. We're here to help. Can you imagine if we get this right, if tens of thousands of men and women and students 
together are changing the world and they're doing it in a way that is so unified. It's unlike anything else the world has ever seen. We're setting aside our personal preferences, doing nothing but lifting up Jesus, the gospel and changing the world. I believe the world would run to it. Who are we are? Who are we? Who we are as Hope Community Church? What's our DNA? We lead with big faith. We're gonna chase after things so big that if God doesn't show up, they're not gonna happen. We exist for those who aren't here yet. We exist to equip the church. We balance grace and truth. We aim to be relevant and effective. And we're in it together. We believe if we do that, we will love people where they are and encourage them to grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. That's our mission. And together, we will reach the triangle and change the world. That is our it. And hope we need to be in it together more right now than we ever have before. So let's care about it. Let's be courageous for it. Let's be selfless to it. And let's seek God through it. Can we do it? Can we do it? Yeah. Father, I am reminded by Jesus' prayer, your son's prayer, just a short time before he left this earth. And he said, Father, I pray that they would be unified so that the world would know that you sent me and so the world would know that you love them. And we have an opportunity to be an answer to that prayer. It has been a crazy 18 months. So crazy that the only chance that we have at getting this right is remembering you, Lord, remembering the things that you've done and asking you to give us the strength to be courageous for the things that you have for us, to be selfless to them and to keep our eyes on you. And so I pray for the men and the women and the students and the children who call Hope Community Church home. Lord, I pray that you would give strength, that you would give clarity, that you would give love for one another and for their communities. Lord, and that we would look back 12 months, 24 months, 36 months, five years, 10 years from now, remembering this time, and we would think, my goodness, look at what God did. We love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. Love you guys. Thank you for listening to the Hope Podcast. We appreciate you joining us as we tackle issues facing our modern world from a biblical perspective. To make sure you don't miss a message, please take a moment and hit the subscribe button. Also, if you're new to Hope and want to check out what we're about and how to be a part of our community, go to our next steps at gethope.net slash next. Let us know your story because we'd love to connect with you.